0: Guys, it is so good to have you here with us. Man, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. thankful to have you all here, all our guests, all our Crosspoint family. So thankful to have everybody here. And, you know, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter. Chapter 2 is where we're going to pick back up. And, you know, I debated on where we should go this morning. And, man, I, I think God has led us to where he wants us to be. You know, and whether you have a church home or not, I believe that God's got you here for a reason. And I believe he's got something to tell us today. Something that we need to know, something that maybe we've wrestled with, something maybe that we've struggled through as, uh, as being a Christian or maybe even coming in this morning with doubts and concerns and fears. And I feel like a lot of times when we enter into a space like this as a, as a non-believer, we feel like there's no place for us to be in here, a place for you to be in here to listen and to hear what God has. But man, God says, come. God says, bring your questions. God says, bring your doubts. God says, bring your fears. Listen, because there may be doubts or fears present does not mean that we have to run away from it. He says, come, bring me all those things. And as Paul, uh, Peter, there it is. If you're keeping the bingo card this morning, uh, I'll say Paul one time every service. Anyway, I'm getting off track. Our guests are like, y'all are crazy. Peter, speaking to a church of people who are in desperate need of support. Peter, speaking to a group of people who are feeling the weight of the world around them, whether that's in circumstance or in struggles or just because of the culture around them, Peter is writing to hurting, lost, broken people that are in desperate need of something bigger than themselves. And that's what this is about, right? Like this is so much more than Putting on coats and coming into a building and trying to put on any kind of show for anybody. This is nothing to do with that. This is everything about acknowledging something greater than ourselves that we desperately need, whether we want to admit it or not. And this is the message that Peter wants to convey to us today and how we play into that. So, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verses 4 and read to verse 10, and then we'll pray together. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4, he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, but you are a chosen priest, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are god's people once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy let's pray father god thank you for today god we thank you that us broken people get the opportunity to come before your throne this morning together to worship you to lift you up god i'm thankful for the kingdom you've established here on earth that we are able to gather and do things that we have no right to do, no abilities to do, but you grant those things to us. You're a good, gracious God who invites us into things that are much bigger than ourselves. Father God, I just ask that you speak to us. God, humble us this morning, whatever doubts, fears, or distractions we've come in with. Father God, I pray that we can confidently lay those at your feet today. Father, again, we just thank you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. So this morning we continue a series for our guests. You know, I know sometimes coming into a uh, a study that a church is doing, it can be like walking into a, a movie in the middle of it and really not know what's going on up to that point. So just a quick thing, we are speaking of the Christian faith and how we navigate life as Christians being on the outside, being not welcomed at the cool kids table of culture and society where the things we say may bother people or the things we represent, they may not be received quite as well. And so what we've been talking about is how do you navigate that space without being domineering, without being ugly and oppressive, but still be confident and for sure in what we believe and how we stand and how we act and still reaching the people around us and engaging with those around us. God has not called us to escape from the world, but he's called us to engage with the world, to love the world and lead the world to the thing that we all need and that is Jesus. And so, you know, as I was getting ready for this week, I started to think about something, you know, and and all of us have this, all of us use it to different Uh, scopes. I mean, most of you guys probably have an email, but I doubt you check your email all that much. Mostly it's us older people who have things. But our email is connected to everything, right? I mean, it's connected to your, you know, Netflix, your ESPN, your Disney Plus, your, uh, you know, your PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, whatever you got. You know, our emails are connected to all that. And all those things, they have passwords. Well, for me because I don't like to see these little notification bubbles above my app so anytime I even remotely get an email I got to get rid of it. I think my wife has like 108,000 unread emails in her inbox right now and I would have a literal panic attack But, but you know with that with having our information in all these different spots a lot of times I'll get emails I'll get emails and not even in my junk mail I'll get emails that tell me that my accounts have been locked have any of you ever gotten those? Your, your, my account has been locked. You have no access to your Amazon account anymore. You can't buy anything. You know, uh, your your PayPal account is temporarily locked. Your uh, you know, I get calls all the time. Maybe you've gotten these. That uh, there, there's a warrant out for your arrest. Now, now that may be real. I don't know. But I, I assume it's not. But... You know, we get these things that are like you need to call us and give us all this information so that we can clear up the issue or whatever's going on and so within the context of these emails that we that i get you know all this information is fumbled into this space where we get this information from and so within this these alerts or these access restricted you know all these things that come up it can the first time you engage with it it can send you into a little bit of a panic you think well I use these things all the time like how am I going to buy the random knickknack stuff that I order off Amazon that I know my mailman hates me for ordering constantly you know, how are we going to use PayPal, how am I going to Venmo, how am I going to, watch, how are we going to watch anything on TV, on Netflix, whatever it might be, you know, so we start to panic and so what this email does is when you click it, it prompts you to the screen that looks absolutely sketch, the sketch and it, and it tells you that you need to enter in all this information so that they can fix the problem, so it's like your name, your email, your address, your social security number, who your kids are, where they go to school, how tall they are, you know, all these things that it tells you to input, and you're like, well, that's weird that they need all that for Netflix, but whatever. And so in this state of panic, the, at the fear of not having these resources, we give away what? We give away the keys to our identity. We give it away. And so, though, what happens? I, I'm ashamed to say this has happened to me before. I think I bought something off Wish, and... It, <laughs> The moment you do something like that, then all of a sudden you've bought like 10 TVs in Taiwan or something like that. And so it's, you know, what happens is, is that we enter in, we give away the keys to our identity. It's taken in and then it's used. It's used in a way that is not who we are. It's used in a way that, that takes advantage of us. Our identity in that moment is stolen. And all because in a state of panic, We give away the keys to our identity. Because the goal of this is to steal that identity away from us, to misrepresent, to rob us of of an experience of our identity. And so what Peter is writing to, why that even matters this morning. What Peter is writing to is he's writing to a group of Christians. Of people who are under oppression. They are in Rome. They are in Rome right now. They are hated by the government. They are hated by the people. They are being murdered in the streets, all these things. Peter is writing to these people and he's trying to remind them about their identity. I think this is so valuable and important for us, especially in times when we feel panic or pressure, is we want to relinquish the keys to our identity to hopefully gain access to the resources around us. But what Peter begins to write here is he wants us to see that the resources available to us are never changing and because of the source of those resources. Peter wants to reinforce their identity and he wants to reinforce our identity this morning. That as pressure comes, as difficulties come, as hurts and hardships come, that nothing, as a Christian, nothing on this earth or that we experience or that comes against us or that we may fall into Cares us away or relinquishes that identity unless we let it go. And so, what God's calling us to do, and what Peter's calling us to do, is grab a hold of that. So, there's two things this morning, two quick things that I want us to see from this text about who Jesus is in aspect to our life and our walk as Christians and as people as we navigate this cultural space as we navigate being outsiders maybe uh, you know as Christians not being those that are completely accepted completely loved and completely welcomed all the time there's two things this morning that I believe Peter wants to remind us of and the first thing is this is that Jesus is the rock that we need Jesus is the rock that we need now anytime rock is mentioned in Scripture it's it's typically speaking of a foundation at which something is built on or something stands on and so when we talk about Jesus being the rock that we need That kind of that Sunday school answer, I'm afraid to say, but it just is the fact that Jesus is what it's all about. That Jesus is the place where it starts. Jesus is the place where it builds. Jesus is the place that it goes. And Peter kind of references this. In verse four, we see this. He sees, as you come to him, a living stone. So there's an order at which things are presented in this text. And the first thing that's presented is Jesus. He says, as you come to him, talking about Jesus, a living stone. A living stone, a living rock, a living foundation. This is where it grows and this is where it starts. This living stone language, what this does is it shows something that we talk about all the time as a church, but it shows something called continuity, this continuity of the Bible where from beginning to end the Bible is this cohesive narrative of written over a matter of 1,400 years by 40 different authors in three different languages still stands today as the primary text and the primary motivator for the biggest religion in the world being Christianity. And so when we think about it in that aspect and we think about that continuity about how the Bible has come to where we are today, we should see value here we should see now is every translation perfect no is god's promises in this translation perfect yes listen every people argue about which one you should use whether it's this 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 or this regardless there's no english translation that's going to perfectly communicate to us what god wants us to know because the people who wrote it were not speaking english but what god has given us here is he's reminded us about how his promises and his truths are continuous, how they've been, how they've been continuing on. Isaiah, one of the oldest books written, Isaiah 28, 16 says this, it says, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am the one who has laid as who has laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone. A tested stone. A precious cornerstone of sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste or will not be shaken. And So there's this You know, this was written in 700 B.C. Like, you know, this is written before Christ, 700 years before Christ. And but it's revealing to us that what God has established has always meant to be. This is who he's called us to be. This is what he has invited us into in the confidence at which he wants us to walk in. And so for us as Christians, for us to know that where we go, where we start, what we need and what defines us, moves us and motivates us is Jesus. We'll understand that more as we move on, and why that should and needs to be the case as Christians, as young Christians, old Christians, whatever it might be, that God has called us to build our identity and our foundation on Him, not our own foundation, but on top of His foundation. Tim Keller, a famous theologian pastor, he said this: he said the Bible says that our real problem is that every one of us is building our identity on something besides Jesus. 1 Corinthians 311 says, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is where, you know, I feel like all of us in life, we're constantly trying to find our footing. You know what I mean? Like you're just trying to get in life just find this place where you just kind of have your base where you just feel comfortable where you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to do living the life you're supposed to live being the person you're supposed to be and so but the bible tells us that that footing is found on the foundation of jesus that that's where we find that space that we settle on that we grow from that's where we learn from that's how we are become the best husbands and wives the best students the best people the best grandparents we can be is from this footing of Jesus so this is what he's invited us into and then continuing on in verse 4 he says this he says not only is he a living stone but he's a living stone rejected by men a living stone rejected by men so what does that mean for us And down in verse seven, it says this when it's referencing Isaiah, uh, when I'm sorry, when it's referencing Psalm 118, he says, the, uh, the stone, the builders have rejected. And so who are the builders? Who are men? That's us. That's us. The stone that we rejected, maybe not us directly, but us as humanity. And maybe it is us directly today. Maybe there is someone today that, uh, that, or maybe in times of your life, you've navigated this times of rejection. And so what Peter's wanting to remind us of, the biblical Jesus, the historical Jesus, that even non-Christian texts would mention this man named Jesus and the things that he did, the biblical historical jesus was rejected by people and that for us to know that even in navigating life as christians and feeling like we're having a hard time finding our place in this world that jesus was the ultimate outsider jesus was the ultimate outsider the people hated him the people didn't want anything to do with him except for those that wanted something from him especially the educated people they didn't want anything to do with jesus He threatened everything that they believed and everything they had lived for and stood for up to that point. And most people followed him only whenever he could give them something. And when he he said things that challenged them, they walked away. By nature, we as people reject. And it says, you know, it says the builder, you know, and I just think about, you know, a builder is that contractor, that person like kind of in charge of what goes into a project. You know, it says the builders rejected it you know i don't know if you've ever built anything i've never really built anything that held up for very long but you know when you build something you evaluate the tools that you use You evaluate the supplies, you make sure that you have everything that you need. And so what it's communicating to us is this idea that the world or the builder or maybe even some of us this morning, some of you this morning, have thought in your mind, evaluated Jesus, who he is and what he's done and deemed him unnecessary for our life. Rejected. That's what the people did 2000 years ago is that they deemed Jesus unacceptable. He doesn't have a place in this project. He doesn't have a place in this work, in our life, in my life, in our culture's life, whatever it might be. There's this pushback of where the builder, the project manager has said there is not, not even that it's not good for this project, but it's been rejected. This word rejected is a very strong word, that there's no place at all. There's no place at all. For it. And for us to know in the place where I believe that Peter wants us to see For one, to understand that Jesus was the ultimate outsider. And not only that, but we can have a tendency to reject Him. To push Him away. Because of what it does for us, with us, around us. And maybe it's because of some some misconstrued perception of who Jesus is because of a church or some Christian that you interact with. But the thing that I want to promise you, especially in our bad situations, that the Jesus that you've known... The Jesus you've been presented, I can bet that it's not the biblical Jesus. Sometimes it's a Jesus that makes it more convenient for the church. Listen, I always wanna be able to engage and acknowledge that the church is not perfect. I'm never gonna say that it is because it's run by faulty people. But don't let the church's misperception or the church's way of handling what God has given us to be the evaluation of who Jesus is because that's not who he is. We do our best. We do our best to represent who Jesus is properly, but we fail miserably sometimes. Because what we, the uniqueness of the Christian gospel is this. It's unique compared to any other religion, any other deity in the world. Is that Christian worship, Christians worship a crucified, a murdered savior who made himself nothing made himself, the Bible says he took on the form of a servant. He made himself nothing. He drew near to sinners. He drew near to tax collectors, drunks, prostitutes, all kinds of social outcasts. People who could offer him no power. People who could offer him no leverage. It did no good for Jesus in his individuality to associate himself with those people. And a lot of times we can feel disconnected from that, but in a lot of ways we could say the same thing about ourselves. There's no reason Jesus should have anything to do with me. But that's the uniqueness of the Christian gospel is that we serve and worship a God who leans into where we are. He leans into our mess. He leans into our faults. leans into our failures. He leans into our doubts and our fears and he invites them. And unfortunately too many times we evaluate and we reject or we marginalize or, or, or box Jesus into certain parts of our life but not all the parts of our life and we miss the true value of what our relationship with God can bring within the context of our relationships, with our marriages, with our lives, as students, as teachers, as people, as workers. God has invited us to know that. And he says this, you know, he says in verse five, he says, you yourselves, the living stones. So you see what he's done there. He started to talk about Jesus as living stones. And then he's gotten to this point where, remember, we're talking to Christians. He says that you are, you yourselves, this word you is a plural you. So he's not just talking to an individual person. He's talking to a group of people. He says, you yourselves are living stones. And so what is that supposed to mean to us? Why is he calling us the same thing that he called Jesus? It's something very, very, very important for a Christian in their identity to know and to understand. Is what this is communicating is is communicating a believer's connection with Christ. Or what we call in the church Christian, our union to Christ. That when we have put our faith in Jesus. When we have acknowledged that we are sinners in need of saving, we have a need outside of ourselves, like we started out talking about, that I need something outside of myself for value, for purpose, for reason, for existence. Like, what is the point when I need something beyond myself to sustain me, to lead me, guide me, direct me? When we have come to that point when we acknowledge that Jesus is that... The Bible says that we are unionized, we are infused with Christ and that all the inheritance, all the blessings that come through Jesus come to us. Does that make us gods? Absolutely not. But it makes us broken people with eternal resources, broken, desperate people that are hurting, that are, that are, that are desperate for something beyond ourselves that we have resources that infuse, that engage, that grow our identity beyond ourselves. We are joined to him. We gain purpose, we gain value, we gain direction, all those things because he provides those things. Not because we've done anything to earn it or not because we're currently doing anything but through Jesus, when we have acknowledged our need for him. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In Jesus, we're repurposed, we're redeemed, we're brought to something new, we're given a new opportunity, we're given something to start with is it perfect no but he gives us a new beginning to begin again colossians 3 3 and verse 5 says for you have died and your life is hidden with christ in god union with christ in god put to death therefore put to death what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passion evil desires covetedness which is idolatry or envy he tells us listen when we've engaged with christ We've seen who we are in him and what he's done for us. The active steps that we take is to begin to put off some things. Put those, things, anytime the Bible typically references the word death, there's a lot of different ways it uses it, but the most frequent way and the way it's using it here in Colossians, this death is separation. Separate these things from yourself. Separate these things that are drawing you away. These things that like we talked about at the beginning, these things that we're relinquishing the keys to our identity for. It says, separate yourself from those things. Separate yourself from those things that are taking the place of Jesus in your life. Separate yourself from those things that are sin. Separate those, yourself from those things that are destroying you internally from the inside out. Separate yourself from those things because God has something better for you. And we find that in Jesus. We find that in who He is. For I, Christian, our identity is in Jesus' And in that, we become living stones. You know, and so in that, when we become living stones, I started to think about this idea of how stones are collected. And, you know, stones are collected through, this, through being quarried. You know you think of a quarry rock quarry something like that you know this big pit or this place where they go and how do they collect these stones and for for them that you know they use stones as a as a means to build their homes and to build these 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 platforms and all these things and so what would be the process for to collect these stones there would be digging right there would be digging there would be moving around dirt there would be searching there would be recovering They would be revealed the dirt would be brushed away you know all these things would be done to collect these stones and these stones would all be different these stones would all be imperfect but they would be utilized for a purpose and so when we become living stones when we have put our faith in jesus and become living stones we become those people those stones that god has searched for that he has found out that he has dug brushed the dirt away recovered and repurposed God takes us and uses and utilizes us in a way that we would have never thought could be done with us in verse five he says this like living stones are being built up are being built up as a spiritual house you know the thing about stones is they're not perfectly shaped They're not perfectly shaped and they may not always look exactly how we would think they would need to look to fit into the process in which they're supposed to be. But for us, God's not looking for perfect pieces. That's the thing we have to understand, that God's not looking for perfect pieces. When it says, and I love how it uses kind of this this word of work is continuous. He says you are being built up. He's not saying you have been built up. He's not saying the work is done, but he's saying you are being built up. And I think a lot of times for us as Christians, when we think about ourselves even remotely, being like living stones of people, being a part of this family of God or this work of God, we think to ourselves, well, I feel so much more like a sponge than I do a stone, right? Like there's nothing that anyone could do with me to build. He's talking about building some spiritual house. There's no way because I feel like a sponge most of the time. I just soak up whatever's around me. The dirt, the muck, and I'm not solid enough for anything to be done with me to build on top of. But God says, Peter is telling them here that you are like living stones, that you are being built up. That when you become a Christian and put your faith in Jesus, you begin a process where God is beginning to mold you, use you. He has taken you as that living stone and he is making you into that perfect shape that you need to be to fit into the work that he has for you, that he's doing with you. And that's a process that's being built up, you know. And so when we look at the church, when we look at Christianity, a lot of times we look at it and the church on earth as a big pile of rubble as ruins, as a mess. You know, but whether it's pastors or people or preacher, whatever it might be, or organizations that, that represent Christianity to some extent, a lot of times, we can just look at it as ruins, as rubble, as a mess. You know, and I, I pray that we could look at it like this, that the mess that we see is similar to the mess around a house that's being built up. Have you ever seen a construction project? It's kind of a messy space, right? There's supplies everywhere. There's mud and dirt and, and stuff and things just look incomplete. I really believe this is what the church is. And so for us, what we have to do is we have to remember that. This is the church that we present to the world around us, the unbelieving world. Hey, the church is being built up. It's not perfect. It looks like a hot mess sometimes and it looks like rubble, but it's being built up because I really believe this, that we see the mess, but God sees it as progress. Listen, for anything to get done, a little bit of a mess is made, right? You cook in the kitchen, you make a great meal. What comes with that? A mess, dishes, stuff all over the place people live in your home, there's going to be clothes to be washed. It's a mess. A clean house is a house that nobody lives at, right? Church, the mess isn't evidence of abandonment or uselessness. It is a representation of progression that something is happening. God is using our mess. God is using who we are. God is working and building us because, church, guys, everyone here, God is not looking for perfect pieces to build up the spiritual house that he talks about because the master builder who is Jesus who is God he makes every piece fit God makes every piece fit exactly where it needs to be and that's not for us to figure out God is figuring that out for us he is building that up within us and then he continues on in verse 8 says that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone so this word cornerstone is communicating this idea where I think for a lot of us as Christians and as people we miss it but what he's talking about is this unified nature not only between us and Jesus but us and each other because what a cornerstone was is a cornerstone was the stone that was vital to the integrity of the wall this is where the walls would meet where they would be sustained And so what it is telling us for people as Christians, and listen, Christians believe and navigate a lot of different things. There's over 30 churches in this community, and several of us look at different things and interpret different things differently. And some of those things are very important and very valuable. And I would stand on strong ground for some of the things that I would say, and they would stand on strong ground for some of the things that they would say. But some of the things that we need to understand and we can't get distracted by with some of the other spaces that we navigate. that as us as individual people especially within the local church for Cross Point Community Church and anyone else who we would ever have the privilege of interacting with that any unity we have within this church rests on the cornerstone of Jesus when Christ is absent there is no Christian fellowship when Christ is absent there is no Christian community When Christ is absent, there is no Christian worship. If Christ isn't here, and I don't mean here in this building, here within us, within His people, then we are are empty. It's all meaningless. It means nothing. You know, I've said it over and over and over again. Our worship and belief in Christianity is either the most important thing that we'll ever believe or understand, or it's of no value at all. There's no middle ground. There's no space where it's just like casual. The Christian faith is either everything or it's nothing. Because that's how important this is. This is who God is. This is what God is doing. This is what Jesus has done and utilized and given to us to see people come to know him, to see people find value and importance, to see people be rescued from addiction, to see marriages be saved, to see people res- uh, just, just reconciled to greater things than themselves and we find that in Jesus and not only that but he continues on and he says this, stum- this stone is a stumbling or a rock of offense listen for us and, and I'm going I'm, we're getting there, we're getting to the end my, pe- my people are like yeah we know what that means a stone of stumbling or a rock of offense That Christ is either a stepping stone into greater things or He's a stumbling stone that keeps tripping us up. You know, because he's, He's telling, He's talking to people who at one point would have looked at Jesus and everything He stood for as a stumbling block, as something they just couldn't get past, couldn't get over. Because of this, because a lot of these people, they truly believed that they were either born into this faith or they were good enough are prestiged enough to earn it. And what did Jesus do? Jesus came into the mix and said, not only are you not born into it, but there's nothing you could do in this world that would make you good enough to gain what God has for you. Nothing you can do. You don't have the skill set. You don't have the ability. And what is this all evidence of? For all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, it's all evidence of pride. And that's what he's telling them that you're stumbling over Jesus because of your pride you find Jesus offensive because of your pride because you want to hold on to you've given away the keys to your identity and it's taken your identity and it's changed it and molded it into something different and it's told you this is who you are this is what you do it's not Jesus telling us that but it's these other things around us so what? when it says a stumbling stone, it's telling us that, that Jesus will either be, like we said, a stepping stone into greater things or something we will constantly stumble on because of our pride. Because we refuse to grab a hold of who God is and what He does. The last thing is this, and then I'm done. Jesus is the rock we work from. Jesus is the rock we work from. In verse 9, he says this, and this is where we begin to see that purpose and value kind of present itself. Verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. I love, I love how in this that Peter begins to shake apart all the potential identities that we could grab a hold of. He says that in Jesus, not only are you chosen, but you're a chosen race. He says, whoever you were before, however you were born, however you looked, whatever social class you entered into, whatever you've been up to this point is nothing now because God has chosen you and made you into a group of people, a race of people who are defined by Jesus. Not defined by how we look, not defined by how we act, not defined by what we have. We are defined by Jesus that our identity is found in him. And the true nature of what we do and what we see is founded in him, but you are a chosen race. And not only that, but he says, we're given and assigned a prestigious role in God's work. He says that you are a royal priesthood. You no, know, only very specific people could be priests in this day and age. You either had to be born into it or you had to have certain accolades about you to participate in this role be responsible for worship, prayer, evangelism, whatever it might be. And not only that, but he says that we are royal priests, that each and every one of you as Christians this morning, that you've been called to the work of a priest. Did you know that? That you have been invited to be priests in your home. You've been invited to be priests in your school. You've been invited to be priests in the place where you are, wherever you are. You've been invited to be priest, not only a a priest, but a royal priest, a priest of the king. I love how he added that word, royal, a priest of the king, the highest role a priest could have. And so you've been, we've been invited into that in Christ. In Christ, you're qualified for that. In Christ, you're qualified not to have all the answers, but you're qualified to tell people about this great gift, this great thing that you know about. Listen, I don't know everything about it and I don't know how to explain it, maybe you would say, but all I know is that Jesus came 2,000 years ago, the Son of God, He healed people. He healed people, He forgave sinners. He leaned into the lives of prostitutes and drunkards and He revealed to them something greater than themselves. And He says, listen, Jesus leaned in and said, listen, if you'll begin to separate yourself from some of those things, I have something even greater for you to grab a hold of. And listen, even if it takes you some time to get over some of those things. Listen, God doesn't say, come to me with the puzzle all put together. He says, come to me with the broken pieces and I'll put it together. He says, come. He says, because I'm going to build you up into something bigger. Maybe it takes... Two months, maybe it takes two years, maybe it takes 30 years. I'm thankful for the patience of God in my own life. I don't know about you, but listen, God has been patient with me. Listen, and I never stand up here and talk and, and talk to you or talk to my church or talk to you even here this morning and ever say that I've got it all together. Listen, there are times that I look in the mirror and I think to myself, God, why would you even waste a minute with me? And now I'm reminded. I'm building you up you're being built up be patient with yourself because I am listen does that mean that we don't actively separate ourselves from these things that are robbing us of our identity absolutely not we should be and we should see the weight of sin in our lives and these things that are separating us and pushing us away from God and really hearing and seeing from Him because of this and this is what Peter wants us to see as we kind of bring it home in verse 9 He says that you are a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous life. And when he says his own possession, he's not talking about a people in captivity. He's talking about a people that are his family, a people that he cares for, a people that he loves, a people he shows concern for, a people that he provides for, a people that he leans in towards. These are the kind of people that we become, this identity that we inherit as Christians when we have put our faith in Jesus, that we have become a people that are his people. And that he's drawn us out of these dark spaces where we navigate life thinking who am i where am i what am i supposed to do who cares about me who gives a a hoot about what i do or where i am who who has anything for me and i did say who that's the only word that came to mind in that moment what does it matter because ultimately, if we're just big sacks of meat and cells and flesh that just navigate this life and one day just stop breathing and just dissolve and disintegrate into the world, into the earth, what's the point? But there is something bigger. You know, I, 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 I thank God that I'm, I, I had the opportunity to, to get a science degree. You know, a lot of people would think that science goes in opposition to God. I think science, more than most things, reveals the nature of God and how he works that everything has divine, specific, intentional creation. And for you and for me, if you're a Christian this morning, God has intentionally and specifically drawn you from where you were to where you are to where he's bringing you. He takes us out of the dark into the marvelous light. And I love this idea of thinking about it in a sense of visibility not only can we see what's around us, but I think what makes us afraid is when we step into the light, we'll see more of ourselves, right? We'll see more of who we are. We'll see more of what we do. We'll see more of our failures, our weaknesses, our insecurities. But man, what's beautiful about that in the sense of repentance where we do acknowledge, we acknowledge our need, we acknowledge our failures before a holy God, that light that we stand in, light a path for us, to begin to take steps, to begin to be moving towards the direction that God has for us. And I love this in verse 10, it says, and you were once, you once were not a people, but now, now you're God's people. Man, that's, that's amazing. That once you were nothing, that before God, before, before Christ, before this, we were, we were really nobody. We really had no identity, other than what our desires defined for us. But he says, now, now in Jesus, now you're God's people. And listen, I don't know about you, you know, my kids will never stop being my kids. Because we're family. When God tells Christians, when He tells you His people, in your highest of highs or your lowest of lows, when He says that you were once not a people, but now you're God's people, He's saying that you are now in the family of God. You've inherited what God has for you. And it doesn't matter. The Bible tells us nothing can separate you from that. Not life, nor death, nor angels, nor governments. Nothing can separate you from what God has for you and what He is doing for you. And then maybe as a Christian this morning, you find yourself definitely not here, but you find yourself here. You're struggling. You feel distant. You feel separated. You feel like you're missing out on something that God has for you. And on and on and on again, you find yourself in these moments of empathy or, or apathy where you're just like, ah, I just don't care, but I know there's something within me that knows I should do better. I should say better. And for a lot of us, I think the problem is we're trying to clean ourselves up before we go there. But God says, let me do that let me do the cleaning let me do the the, the brushing off the dirt you're the living stones i I'll, I'll, I'll take you out i'll recover you in jesus he says you were once not a people but now you are god's people you are identified you are verified you are justified by jesus in him through him once we were not but now we are And so, a couple things that I'd just ask you to consider for the Christians this morning. That no matter where you are in your walk, like I said, fears, doubts, struggles, whatever it might be, if you have put your faith in Jesus, He tells us that you're stones, that you're strong, that within the context of who you are and the gifts that you have, that you're unique. And not only that, but you are being built up. You are being built up and unified and and pushed together with other believers into something eternal and beautiful. And that the mess isn't validation for failure, but a representation of progress. That the mess isn't a validation of failure, but a representation of progress. And that the Christian life, it's a beautiful mess. Why is that? Because we are broken at times. We make mistakes at times. There's a lot of times I pray, God, I wish I was a better husband. I wish I was a better dad. I wish I was a better whatever it might be, a better son, a better pastor, a better nurse. The Christian life is a beautiful mess because we're broken at times. And we aren't perfect, but church, God is. And He is the perfect builder. And He takes our mess and He makes a masterpiece out of us. He takes where we fail and he makes as Ephesians 2, uh, 2.10 would say that we are his workmanship. We are that thing that he is taking and he is working with intentionally. That God has never abandoned us. We've only distanced ourselves from him. And maybe for the non-Christian this morning, if you would honestly evaluate yourself and say, listen, I don't care about it. I don't believe in it. I think it's caused more hurt than help. I would ask you to consider this with your questions, doubts, concerns, maybe even hurts. Maybe the reason you'd say, listen, I left the faith because Christians are hypocrites because they hurt me, they disappointed me. I want you to know this. You know, the Bible tells us that God has made himself revealed in creation. That in reality, all of us are pursuing something we're pursuing something we're pursuing something in this life what I hope that you would know is that even in this broken messed up world that the thing you're searching for I promise you is Jesus and that Jesus He has an identity for you something that would define you beyond school, friends, athletics relationships, jobs, whatever it might be, an identity that isn't broken by our circumstance, an identity that isn't broken by our performance or lack of, an identity that defines us for eternity, what he has for us, what he has for each and every one of us, for those who maybe would say that they haven't believed, haven't accepted, he has a seat at the table, and I want to end with worship I'm going to ask Landon to come up and just start to play and and I just want to move into this space where we worship God as a Christian that you would be able to worship acknowledge Him this morning for His goodness what He's been maybe you've forgotten about that maybe circumstances have separated you from an acknowledgement of His goodness or maybe you come this morning and you don't believe but what God has for you is He has an invitation for you and He says come He says, come, come into what? And he tells us, you know, continuing on into verse 11, I mean, in verse 10, he says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So what is mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Listen, I think a lot of us, we could honestly evaluate our lives and say, I don't deserve much. I made a lot of mistakes. Listen, I say all the time, I don't deserve the wife that I have. I've made a lot of mistakes. I don't we, we, we don't deserve the good things that we have but the beautiful thing about the Christian gospel and what God does in our life is it's not only that we get mercy not getting what we deserve but what God has given us freely and openly through faith in Jesus is grace. So what is grace? Grace is getting something that we don't deserve So what are we getting from Jesus in His grace? We're getting acceptance we're getting a good standing before God. We're getting blessing. We're getting hope. We're getting confidence. We're getting security. We're getting assurance. We're getting this place where we stand as Christians this morning and can say that we are living stones being built up into this place that God has for us, that even in my failures, even in my weakness, even in my struggles, that God has purpose and value in the context of my life, no matter the valley that I'm in, that God's still there. Leaning into that space where we are. And so maybe, like I said, maybe you feel like more like sponges this morning. God says he'll make you stones. Strong, solid, with beauty, purpose, and value if you'll find it in him. So if we could, if you'd stand with me this morning. If you'd join me as we sing together. As we worship God for who He is and what He's done, we're just going to sing for a minute. And then we'll be done. I promise. But I pray that you can begin to engage God on a personal level. Where am I at in my walk with God in acknowledging and accepting the place in which He has made me and He is making me? context of my life, my Christian life, my local church, but I am a royal priest. You are a royal priest that God has purpose and value in your family. Maybe it's just like mom as and moms and dads. God has made you royal priests of your children. Maybe it's as students. God has made you royal priests of your peers. But they need you leaning into that space, sharing this message with come in with doubts and fears I pray that you would seek God this morning and that you would question God do you really want me to come do you really have a place for somebody like me I promise you you'll hear from God this morning what he'll tell you is yeah I've got a seat at the table for you the most broken the most needy, the most hurting So they're right here bow our heads and just pray together. Father God, Lord, we come humbly before you, Lord, as broken, messy people. God, in desperate need of your help, of your love, of your goodness. Father God, I pray this morning that you would just challenge us in ways that we've never been challenged. God, reveal to us things that we desperately need to know. God, show us how it is that we fit into this Work that you have. Lord, how could you ever build me up? God, how could you ever use us in any way? God, humble us this morning. Let us seek you. Let us know you. Lord, I pray for confidence. Lord, I pray for courage. Lord, I pray for so much more than just a moment. Lord, God, I pray that you make many moments out of what we do here this morning. I love you and praise you, Jesus only.